0: There are places that, that are meaningful to us, a, a certain place. I, in our house, I'm not kidding you, there's a chair in the back of the bedroom where I can sit and be quiet for a couple of minutes and, uh, or three, uh, but it's just a place. I, I, and As I'm working through these, this passage here, I'm, I'm at least sensing, at least for me, a way to understand what Jesus is talking about is in some sense, his praying for us about our place. What's our place? And I I want to look at that here. If you will go to John 17, John 17, this, this is not a place, if you will, like a location. This is more of a place in a a, a space that we occupy in, in our lives. It's, it's a, it's a space that we occupy. And in John 17, Jesus begins here on your outline. If you'll see Uh, here, we begin in 17, um, uh, verse 15, We we had talked about last week about the word that we have been given, but it says right here, verse 15, I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. And as you sent me into the world, I have also sent them into the world. For their sakes I sanctify myself, that they may also be sanctified in truth. And I do not ask this on behalf of these alone, but for those who believe in me through their word, that they may all be one. Even as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you sent me. Now, I wanna just try to lift some of this out. This room keeps getting warmer to me all the time. That, That a couple of ideas here, I just want you to note something. We'll come back. There at verse 15, there is the idea of the world in 15 and 16. In 17, there is the word sanctify in truth. In 18, there's the word world again. And in 19, there is the sanctifying again in truth. Now, what we call that in biblical studies and in literary analysis is this. You have world, sanctifying truth, world, sanctifying truth. It's called interchange. A, world, sanctifying truth. B, A, world, B, sanctifying. You see the rotation there? That's an interesting thing I want to look at here in a moment, because it seems that embedded in this discussion about the world is Jesus refers to the world, then he refers to being sanctified in truth, then he refers to the world, then he refers to sanctified in the truth. And, and we're going to look at that maybe today. <laughs> you know how it goes. Uh, we're going to see this. But I want to look, first of all, in this a particular section, if you will, in our, if you will, our pl- place in the world our place. Notice what what Jesus said in 15 to 18. I don't ask you to take them out of the world, but keep them from the evil one. We're going to look at this here for a second. But but, but this this idea of our place in the world, Um, I want to give you a phrase here. I thought about putting on your notes, but I I want to give you a phrase here of this idea of thinking about our place in the world. Write, Write it this way, if you will, if you want to. It's this. Are you in the world for Christ? Are you in the world for Christ? Or are you in Christ for the world? It's a big difference, I think. Are you in the world for Christ? Or are you in Christ? For the world. We'll look at that in some distinction here in a bit. But Jesus is referring to some understanding of here. What's our relationship? What's our place in the world? Now, the word world here, cosmo, most, not cosmo, that's Seinfeld. Co- <laughs> everything does come back to Seinfeld, though, or the Godfather in life, everything. <laughs> Occasionally, it's tombstone, but it's often Seinfeld and the Godfather. I'm just telling you, it always is. A show about nothing that's really about Everything. Uh, but the, the the word cosmos cosmos uh, is used as you might know for the planet um, that we live on. And Jesus is not referring to that. But the other use of the word world in 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 the New Testament is in one sense a system that is in opposition to the rule of God. A system that is in opposition. It's a it's a way of life. It's a it's a plan of opposition to God. And so Jesus says here, I'm not asking you to take them out of this world, either the planet, obviously, or out of the midst of this system. You know, it's a system that honors power. It's a system that honors getting your way. It's a system that evaluates people by what they have or don't have. It's a system in which your value is based on what you do, not who you are. It's a system that, that finds lots of Different ways into our lives. You know, we, we pray for our leaders uh, uh, every every Sunday. We have for for a couple of years, I guess. And one of the things that I always pray because you know it's not a it's not a pray for if somebody's in power that you like or if you don't. I, I always pray this. Uh, you don't have to do this, but this is my my notion. I always pray for our leaders that they will know that someday they are going to stand before a holy and righteous God and give an account as to how they use power. That's what I pray. I pray God will wake them up at night. I pray he'll wake them up at night and remind them, you're going to give an account someday for your stewardship of how you have used power. You know what? The world uses power to get their way. Or this world system uses power to make life good for me, no matter what it does to anyone else. The world here is not only the planet, but also this notion of this system that is in opposition to the rule of God. In the New Testament, at least, there are two powers. One is the world, and the other is the rule of God, sometimes referred to as the kingdom of God. There's the world and its system and its values and its opinions, and then there's the rule of God in which God's power system. So th- this idea of our place in the world. Notice notice what Jesus says. I don't ask you to take them out of the world, but to keep them from the evil one. So notice here, our, our place, if you will, is to be kept by God's power. We can live with some degree of confidence, I believe, in the fact <clears throat> that we know that there will be difficulty. Back in 1633, what did Jesus say? John 1633. Anybody got their Bible there? (laughs) Hello? (laughs) Yeah, what? What did it say, Meg? Yeah, Yeah, yeah. Write your can. Okay. It's the verse you've held on to. It doesn't mean that being kept by the power of God, that, man, we're just all going to be great and things are going to be wonderful and things will be easy. No, it says uh, you're going to have tribulation. Be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. Take heart. This being kept by God doesn't mean we're pulled out of life or we're pulled out of circumstances or difficulties. I've told you before, and this is why, uh, really, the most spiritual person in our house is Becky. Uh, Don't amen that. That often hurts my feelings. Everybody "Mm going, mm-hmm. You know, when Becky uh, uh, got cancer in 2000, what I was so shocked about, and, I, and I, I've said this to people all over the place, I because she knew that living in the world and being kept by God's power didn't mean she'd be released from problems. Becky basically said this when she got cancer. She said, "Why not? Think about that for a second. Why not?" I mean, God didn't promise He would protect us from problems or difficulties. He didn't. He didn't tell us that we would. As an old hymn, you say, "We go to heaven on flowery beds of ease." It, th- th- this notion of being kept by the power of God doesn't mean we're to be kept from difficulty. The, the, the Greek word here is interesting. It, it means to watch over, or to be, to, to guard, to attend to carefully. I love this. It means to attend to. Carefully, that's what the word terreo means. When I think about this, God, would you attend to them carefully? Now I know some of you and Meg and others that have are are presently in this situation, you know, I tell people when I talk about Becky and things like that, I, I've, I I'm I'm just amazed. But you know, it's coming again to us. It's just a matter of time. Something else. Something else. I mean, I, you know, I just. Grit my teeth every morning to look at myself and go, okay. Somebody said to me the other day, how are you doing? I said, don't have any idea. <laughs> <laughs> Hadn't been told anything different, but that can change like that, right? But I'll tell you this. I know that some of the friends I've had and family in here that have experienced death or difficulty, they have been kept by God. You know Why? He attended to them carefully. He didn't change anything, but he attended to them. And they'll tell you, hey, I wouldn't sign up for this again. If God would have asked me, you want this? I'd say, no. (laughs) Right? But this word kept doesn't mean Guarded from, it doesn't mean removed from, it doesn't mean pulled out of, it means being attended to carefully. You see, God's power is not that that gets us out of temptation or trouble or challenges. It doesn't mean our 401ks are all gonna be great. It means that God will attend to us carefully. I believe this. And I don't like to talk about it because all of us will have to live it. But I am confident that no matter what we go through, as difficult as it may be, and I'm not minimizing it, if we have the assurance and the awareness that God is attending to us carefully, we get through it. It's when we feel like He's forgotten us or left us or been away. That's when you need to press into fellowship with other believers that's when you need to press into God's word and start claiming his promises that's when you need to press into not away from God's presence and spirit so Jesus says here don't take I'm not asking you to take them out, but keep them from the evil one I thought about that you know I told you a few weeks ago I think for a long time in my mind I was confused about the evil one and i I I, I hate him so much, I never capitalize his name. (laughs) I'm sure it tears him up, you know. (laughs) I just never do. Little e. Because it seems to be kind of a a thought that we think that the opposite of the devil is God. But the opposite of the devil is Michael, the angel. Remember? Remember? This is not a fair fight. The opposite of God is not the devil. Or the opposite of the devil is not God. The opposite of the devil is Michael. And we sometimes give him more credit and more power and more authority than we ought to. I'm not saying be silly about it either. I had a friend that, you know, I had one friend in Houston years ago. And uh, I I remember going to Joel Olstein's dad's church before Joel became the pastor. Now, John was a stem winding, Baptist hellfire and damnation preacher. <laughs> I mean, John would roll. But a friend of mine uh, uh, went there for a while and said he quit going. And, and John was a wonderful man and loved God. But uh, Jack told me, said, uh, I'm not going there anymore. I said, well, why not, Jack? He said, I got, ta- I got tired of talking to the devil. I said, what do you mean? Oh, he said we'd started. Now, devil, we're telling you, get out of here. Now, devil. And I thought, you know, maybe there's something to that. To not give him too much credit, but certainly acknowledge the fact that there is an evil one. But Jesus said, keep them. I want to give you some verses here about that, because I, as I just thought about that, I thought, you know, here, I, I told you last week, I'm going to give it to you again. I, I make my students memorize this verse, and you should too, and there will be a test next week uh, before we come in. Uh, 1 uh, Corinthians 10.13. First Corinthians 10: 13 I can't believe that any young person that gets in a youth group goes to a college whether it's a Christian college or not doesn't know this verse by heart I can't believe we don't know it it says this there is no temptation that has taken you but is common to man watch this and God is faithful who will not allow you be to, to be tempted more that you are able do you hear that? There's no temptation taken but such as... Com- I got King James and New American Standard goofed up here, so follow me, all right? I do. I, I memorized it in King James and took it back in New American Standard, so it's a little bit of a hybrid here. But there hath no temptation... There we go. There's King. Here we go. There hath no temptation taken but such as common man and God is faithful who will not allow you to be tempted more than you're able to bear, but with the temptation make a way of escape that you can bear up under it. Did you ever read that? That's how God keeps us. He's promised he'll never allow it. Now, boy, I've had some conversations with God. Hey, have you missed me or something? Because I think it just went over the line for me, right? I, I, I think you must be looking at somebody else. You're probably, you know, taking care of Doug or somebody because Doug needs lots of help. Right? He knows. But, but not any temptation greater than you can bear. That's amazing to me. That's the promise of God. That he would keep us, he would attend to us carefully. You know, uh, I, I know that there have been times where you have, like I have, that the temptation has seemed so strong. And what did that make you do? It made me lean in harder, it made me lean in more, more seriously. But he said he'll never, never, ever let you be tempted. More than you can bear. Doesn't mean God is the source of temptation. Go read James chapter one if you got confused there. God is not the source of temptation. He does not tempt anyone, but He will attend to that's the word keep. He will attend to carefully that you're not tempted more than you can stand. That's good news. Second one, 1 John 4 4. Here's another great one. Greater is He that is in you than He that's in the world. John is right. there, greater is he. He says, my little children, you are born of God. You've overcome the world because greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. Now this comes back again to understanding when God attends to us, when God is watching over us, carefully, carefully attending, we gotta remember who's in us. Who's in us? It's not you, it's not me. It's not our personality, it's not our effort, it's him. Greater is he that is in you than he that's in the world. Do you tell yourself that ever? Do you ever remind yourself, wait a minute, there's somebody in here. I lived a lot of my Christian life just thinking, you know, living a Christian life was just trying harder and being more disciplined. We're going to see later in this chapter that union with our unity among one another is because we're in union with God. I told you, I don't ask people if they're saved anymore. I don't know what that means hardly anymore. It takes too many qualifiers. I say, you know, are you saved from what? You know, and then people don't like talking to me after that. <laughs> I got saved from what? Okay. Is there anybody in there but you? there anybody in there but me? Is Christianity just a bunch of rules and ideas and a book and concepts and truths and practices? Or do we have someone who lives within us? Yesterday, I was spending some time praying in, in the morning as I was working and doing some things. And I just kept saying, Jesus, I, I got, I, I've been so busy. I've been busy, 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 but I need to be with you. I just need to slow down. Look here, James chapter four, verse seven. I love this one. This again, God, God attending to us carefully. I love this. It says, submit to God and he will rise you, raise you up or submit to God and the devil will what? Flee. Flee. That's an interesting passage. Submit is really a military term. It really get in line. It's hupotasso. It's a, It's the word that means get in line. Now, you know where the line is for me and you? to come under God's authority. That's when we get in line to say, okay, God, you're God, I'm not. I'm I'm looking to you, I'm trusting you. So it says, submit to God and the devil will flee. And you know what? That's an interesting term too. The word there, flee, doesn't just mean to run. It means to seek safety. (laughs) To seek safety. Submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee. Don't don't cave in or get afraid. It says right here they're in the world, but I'm saying keep them from the evil. How submit to God, get in line to say okay, you're the you're the power. Resist him, say no, I'm not doing that. No, forget that, that's just absurd. Then what does it say? The devil will then run from you. Has he done that lately? We have to submit and resist, and he will flee. I, I, I can't stop this, this, because I can do it anyway. Look at, are you in James there? I just want to show you something here too real quick. I I just can't uh, not uh, comment on this. I can, but I won't. That's really a more accurate way. Submit therefore to God, resist the devil, he'll flee from you. Look at verse eight. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hand, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. I just want you to look at something here. Just, Just look here. In this context, where it says, "You know, submit to God, come under his authority, resist the devil, push back, and he will flee from you. And the next one is then draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Look at this sequence, though. You notice what it says, draw near? Then what's the second part? Cleanse your hands. Just put a note in your Bible. this, This is interesting when I read this some time ago. This is exactly opposite of the Old Testament. Who shall ascend to the holy hill who has clean hands and a pure heart? You know what you did first before you drew near to God? You cleansed yourself. You got things right. That's what you did first. Who can ascend to the holy hill? He has clean hands and a pure heart. Go read the Old Testament. What you do? You take a bath. You wash. You clean up. And then, the word here, draw, you draw near to God. Here's the good news, guys. Draw near to God. And you'll have the energy and the strength to cleanse your hands. God invites you in to say, come on in. And when you come in, you then have the strength and courage to deal with your junk. It's exactly opposite of the Old Testament. So resist the devil or submit to God, resist the devil. He will run from you. And when he runs from you, you then draw near to God and he will draw near to you. And then you have, can cleanse your hands. Does that make sense? You see the sequence there? We just read over this and think, wait a minute. This is exactly opposite of what the Old Testament taught us. So we can come to God. First Peter, if you're there in James, just run over to 1 Peter, go to the right there. 1 Peter 1. This is again being attended to, kept. In verse 3, it says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to obtain an inheritance which is imperishable, undefiled, and will not fade away, reserved in heaven for you, who are protected, kept, attended to by the power of God. How? through faith. Those are protected, who are protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation to be revealed. I just wanna stop here and say in this regard that Jesus said our place in the world is to be kept, attended to, by God's power. We might be tempted at times to think that well, you know, things are bad, things are difficult and they can be, or we might be tempted to think that there's not enough power here. I want you to reflect on these passages. This is this idea of God attending to us and helping us as we're in the world. We're not getting out. We're going to be in. So I encourage you this week, take one of these verses, just just one from this from this list. And give some time to either memorize it, or if you don't want to do that, put in your phone, look at it on a daily basis to remind you again that God is attending to you. You're being kept as you're in the world, attended to by God and his power. Second, here's the second thing, our place in the world. I think I got to... Have I just... uh, here we go. The second one is, here we go, sent into the world. Sent. Notice what Jesus says there. What do we do? Here we go. Notice what Jesus says here. He says, As you sent me, verse 18, I've sent them into the world. Now, this is interesting uh, this idea of sent. The Greek word here, sent, is the word we often translate apostle, apostello. All an apostle is, it's been taken over to mean a person who was sanctioned by Jesus, but it simply means one who is sent. That's it. In one sense then, every follower of Jesus is an apostle. Every follower of Jesus is sent into the world, not as some office are not some, if you will, status, but being sent in to the world. Now that 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 raises this. Jesus uh, uh, sends us, if you will, into the world. But here's what I think happens sometimes. We we get sent into the world, but we get tripped up somewhere. The data and research uh, suggests this: that after a person has been a Christian. For more than two years, they have zero non-Christian friends. I'm not talking about the guy you wave at when you back out the driveway. I'm talking about a person you eat with on some regular basis. Go to a ball game, go to a movie, have to your house. That after two years or more, zero. Does that sound about right? Yes. What? Or married, okay, or married after, okay. Yeah, you know what they call this? Lift. What's happened is in the church in America particularly is that after we get sent into the world, we gather up in our group. You know what that word is used? You know what that word is? Where where a bunch of people gather up in a group? Holy huddle, that's a, yeah, yeah. The holy huddle, yeah, huddle up. It's the fort mentality, you know? We got to stay away from the world because they're all out there. It's bad out there. I'm not, there's there's a a more technical term or not maybe technical, but it's this, ghetto. A ghetto is an area where a particular group of people, sometimes ethnicity plays into part or socioeconomic. Here's one, my favorite. (laughs) Little Italy, (laughs) New York City. This is an Italian enclave that most of the people, it would be not necessarily, but almost all the people here are Italian. Uh, when we went to Chicago. We went down on Taylor Street uh, because in Chicago, in that area, that's where all the great Italian restaurants are. I also think we saw a mob hit while we were there, just briefly. <clears throat> Scared Becky to death. Forget about it. But you know, <clears throat> we... <clears throat> yeah, yeah. <clears throat> And and there's nothing wrong with people living together, nothing. This ethnicity, great food, people that get together may speak Italian still or something like that. But sometimes the Christian ghetto, and I want to just tell you this, I want to be very honest with you. This morning, or since I've been preparing this, I am the least qualified person to talk about this. I work at a Christian university. I... Lead Bible studies all week. And the biggest challenge I have is to break out of the Christian ghetto. Not because <clears throat> people are bad, not because anybody's hurt me. It, it's because <clears throat> it is so easy to get surrounded by you wonderful people. Really, some of y'all are not that wonderful, but most of you. Aren't. I have the names of those who aren't, <clears throat> if you'd care to know. Um, but it's a real problem for me and and it's a huge challenge that doesn't become just another thing to add to my life or, or another thing to do. Um, I'm not suggesting that we all have to, you know, forget our Christian friends and no longer go on, you know, a Christian conference or a retreat or a, Christian cruise. My mother lives in a Christian uh, retirement home, which, you know, that's okay, I guess. But I wonder when we live like that, are we in the world for Christ? Or are we in Christ for the world? I know, I know some people, some friends of mine at the National Prayer Breakfast that moved to a certain part of town because they wanted to begin to be around people and have influence. That's pretty radical. I never bought a house by thinking, can I be an influence in this neighborhood? I haven't. I've thought about, you know, school district, you know, like that. Or is Becky going to repaint it again? That's another story. I want to I give you something that, that I'm trying to work out. But, but here's some questions about this being sent into the world. Now, let me, the disclaimer. <clears throat> there are some people who, let's say, are brand new Christians <clears throat> and, and uh, they haven't been following very long and uh, they may need some real time with believers only to sort of get solidified and strengthened and help. That's what I mean. I'm not <clears throat> but I will tell you this. In terms of all the research, do you know who is the most effective evangelist or person that leads somebody else to Jesus? Do you know who it is? Brand new Christian. They know the least. They have the least sophistication about theology. And they have the least understanding of the Bible. And they are the most effective. You know why? They still have a network of friends that aren't Christians. And they say, what happened to you? What happened to you? See, <clears throat> the longer you're a Christian, the less likely you are to lead somebody to Christ. Isn't that sad? It's because <clears throat> it lifts us out of our culture. So, here, let me ask you these questions. <clears throat> We're going to finish. Don't answer out right loud. <clears throat> Do you have friends? And when I say friends, I'm, I said people you eat with, you have some social contact. Uh, You know, you're hanging out with them occasionally. Do you have people who are different than you in your race? Religion? Do you have anybody in your life that's from another religion? I don't mean like another franchise, like Presbyterian, Episcopalian. That's just another franchise. It's all all the Christian group, but that's a different franchise. Not sure about the United Methodist yet, but you know. (laughs) Those are my people. <clears throat> I'm talking about, I mean, I, I'm telling you, I, the Lord is working me over about this, okay? So I'm telling, I'm, this is on me. Muslim? Hindu? Nothing? <laughs> A big old agnostic? Do you have people <clears throat> that are different in your race, your religion? How about... Here's a good one. How about your politics? You got any friends that might actually disagree? Not anymore. (laughs) Ouch. Eric. Ouch. Let's all end in prayer. Yeah, you know. Do you, uh, do you read books by people who have a different view than you do? So you can talk to them intelligently? I've got a couple books on how other people interpret the Bible. It just makes me mad. And I'm, but I'm reading it. <clears throat> got a couple of them. that I mean, it just makes me mad. And I'm going, that's not true. That's not true. <laughs> and nobody's in there but me. <clears throat> do you read books <clears throat> by people? Do you, ever, do, you ever, do you ever listen? <clears throat> I know I'm starting to meddle here, but do you ever listen to a different news broadcast that might give you a different viewpoint? Just to know? Listen, <clears throat> the tendency for all of us is to get in the ghetto. And the problem with that is that we lose our influence. When we, an old house we lived in on the south side of town, uh, <clears throat> I think I may have to, but some of you haven't heard this. uh We had some neighbors that weren't Christians, you know, we, we, after we got to know them. And I said to Becky, don't you ever tell them I was a pastor. Don't you ever tell them I was a pastor. Because, man, when that happens, oh, goodness, all of a sudden, you know. So we didn't. <clears throat> and we we invited them to things at the school, the Christmas program. They knew we went to church and stuff like that, but we never, never said much, never pressed them. We just tried to be friends. Went to some of their children's um, plays or stuff. I have great sympathy for people that have four-year-old kids that think they're going to a dance recital. <laughs> I went to UConn and I sat in that huge auditorium at high school with a thousand or more people and four or 500 kids and said, just kill me now. <laughs> you have to be a parent to be there. You know what I mean? It's just like, that's not dancing. They're, they're... Anyway, <clears throat> anyway, so <clears throat> we did things we did things with them. We, we did things with them, right? We, we did things with them. Still, I, in fact, that little girl, that said, I saw her at a grocery store back in the South Side. hey, Cliff. And I went, wow, you're grown up, you know? Anyway, at one point in their life, they were having some trouble and her, Becky and this lady were talking and she said, look, I know you and Cliff go to church and all that kind of stuff, but me and my husband are having some real problems. Would you pray for us? Thinking. And Becky in an unguarded moment <clears throat> said, We will. But you know, when Cliff was a pastor, <clears throat> he did a lot of counseling. And she said, Cliff was a pastor. <clears throat> now listen what came out of her mouth next. Because I take this as a badge of honor. But he jogs in the summer with shorts and no shirt on. Now, the no shirt thing should have been a problem, I know. <clears throat> What's she telling you? Pastors are weirdos. Christians are goofballs. They don't live normal lives. They're not normal people. They're weird. I mean, I'm weird, but in a little different way, <clears throat> right? They're strange. Listen, we've, when you get in the ghetto, the problem is nobody ever gets next to a real Christian, they just see on television. They just hear what they read or see what they read. They don't ever get next to a real Christian, right? That's the problem that that now we've lost our influence because we've pulled back and we just want to throw rocks at the world. Now, I'm going to give you something here. Look on your outline here. It's not on there, but there's a blank in the middle there. You see that? Somewhere. You see that? Isn't there a blank right there? I want you to put your name there. Your name. I'm going to show you how to get out of the ghetto. Okay? I want you to draw a pretty tight circle around that. Where I wish I had this on. A, a circle around it. Just a tight one. Now draw another tight one around that. And I want you to put this, I want you to put the word here, Family. Family family in that's in that circle and I want you to write down quick the names of people in your family that are not followers of Jesus. When I say family I mean brothers, sisters, cousins, whatever Just real quick <clears throat> show you how to do this <clears throat> the names of family members that are not followers of Jesus brothers, Sisters, parents, grandparents, that, that kind of thing. We're going to hurry. Okay? <clears throat> Draw another circle. <clears throat> Draw another circle. This is a pretty telling circle here now. <clears throat> In my life, it's very telling. Put the word friends. Now put the names, as I told you, a friend is a person you eat with somewhat regularly, you go to movies with, you spend social time with, they've been in your home. Put the names of people that are your friends that are not followers of Jesus, that are not followers of Jesus. This is where generally or often the circles are empty. Now we're talking about that here, but here, this, this can become a prayer point, is to begin to say, do I have friends who are not followers of Jesus? I've been sent into the world. Do I have friends that are not followers? Not to make them a target, not to make them a, we'll talk to you about what we'll do here in a minute, but, but people that I have a relationship with that I know them by their name. Okay, another circle. Here we go. Another circle real quick. Another circle. Work. Work. The names of people that you work with who are not followers of Jesus. Their names. Again, I work at a Christian university. There's a couple of people I got questions about. Really, I'm serious. I think maybe I ought to spend a little time with them. Maybe we could get to know one another. At work. Yes. I mm-hmm. <coughs> was also a police chaplain, mm-hmm. and I was scared about my cancer story or the target story. He said you have found your passion, ah. and that is often in the workplace <coughs> way. Yeah, um, yeah. It's my cancer story, but mm-hmm. you are the light to other people yep. in a work or public environment that yeah. you never intended to be. Yeah, person. that's right. <coughs> People's seen your life. <coughs> yeah. <honest> <coughs> Isn't it? Yeah, that's right. All of a sudden now, your life is telling a story to people you're working with. You're with them every day. And I'm, I'm the that are the yeah, yeah. That's awesome. If we take advantage of it. And not, let's say, that's not the right word. If we access it. If we say, okay, my, my work is not the penalty of my life. It's my mission field. It's an area where I can have some influence. Okay, next one. This is strange. This is unusual. Years ago it had been different. The next circle, neighbors. You know what? Most of us don't know if we stood out in our front yard and pointed in three houses this direction or three houses in that direction, we don't know the names of the people there, do we? I blame that on one thing. Air conditioning. <laughs> Used to, we sat on the front porch at night when it cooled off. We talk to people. When I come to my house now, I go in my garage, and when my car gets in, I hit the garage door closer. I'm in the fort now, <clears throat> right? How many, how many neighbors do you know by name? Three houses that direction, three houses that direction. You know, this is, Becky's the best evangelist in our neighborhood. She walks our dog. She knows every dog and owner in Summerfield. Oh, that's Misty. In fact, the other day we were walking and she said, Cliff, this dog owner's person, I can't call their name because they might come here sometime. She said, he has a lot of questions about the Bible. I'm so busy. She said, Misty's owner. And then we're seeing, you know, here's these other dogs out there and Becky knows all the owners. And I'm thinking, she's the evangelist, not her knuckle-headed theologian husband. She knows these people. <clears throat> She cares about them. She's she's engaged. Neighbors. Okay, next circle. I know there's a lot of circles here. I'm calling this regular acquaintances. Regular acquaintances. You know, uh, do you go to the same cleaners and talk to the same person every time? When you you go to a restaurant, do you get the same waiter or waitress? You know, so a small cafe. I got a friend of mine. We meet and we, we get the same waitress every Thursday morning. Uh, are, are you part of a an organization like the Lions Club or or, or something like that? Where a homeowners association? Where you? What, what's their names? Okay, here, here's what's funny. Now on the outside of that, put person X. Person X. <clears throat> That's a person you meet on an airplane <clears throat> or somebody that God just brings in your life for a second. Here's what's interesting to me. When I was growing up in the church, we trained everybody in our world to reach person X. How many names have you got in those circles? Anybody count them quick? How many? <clears throat> just give me a number. How many? Zero? Eight? Twelve? Come on, give me a number. Two? <clears throat> huh? Huh? 26, great. Yeah, okay, listen. You and I have been taught that evangelism is being real alert to person X. You gotta climb over 12 people to get to them. There are 12 people, somebody said 12, I don't know who, 12? Somebody's got 12 people in their life they know by name they could pray for every day. They're sent into that world. See, this makes so much... When I was a pastor, I kind of shut down our evangelism program because we were coming on a night and go visit people we didn't know halfway across Houston and never see them again. Instead of the 30 people in people's lives that they could bring over for a cookout or spend some time in a running club or they were part of a homeowner association and got to know each other, eat a hot dog and talk about life. This will work. Now listen... Some of you said zero, and I, I'm, I'm close. I, I'm not zero, but <clears throat> I don't have many friends. Listen, this becomes a point of prayer for me. So, okay, Cliff, how do you need to change your schedule? Okay, Cliff, what do you need to adjust? Okay, Cliff, what are you gonna do in spending time with that guy in your neighborhood? How are you gonna do this? You know what I mean? For some of you, I just say, sick them, <clears throat> you know? Start praying for them, specifically, One a day, whatever you're gonna do that. Just pray for them specifically. Now you've got the names of people. You've been sent into the world now to be in Christ for the world. You're in Christ for this world that you're in. You're not in the world for Christ. You're in Christ for this. So you pray for these people, okay? You, 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 You spend time with them somehow. What I try to do is find out when's their birthday, when's their anniversary, something you can remember and celebrate together, something you can do that, that, that helps them to get next to a real follower of Jesus. Not the crazy caricature they see, not the crazy idea that they think about, but a real one that cares about them. When we were in seminary, I'll I'll end with this. When we were in seminary, I was working on this. And we lived in a little uh, apartment, well, a big apartment complex. We lived in a little little apartment. And uh, I said to Becky one time, I said, you know, there were a lot of kids in the uh, area. And I just said, we don't know anybody here. You know, I was going to work at 2.30 in the morning at United Parcel Service. Nobody was out smoking a cigarette on the stoop, you know, at that time, wanting to talk. And uh, so I said, "Why don't we?" I had a friend that had some videos, and I said, "Let's let's get together. Let's go talk to the manager of the of the apartment complex. Can we use the game uh, the 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 big room? I don't know what they call that. They had like a community room in the apartment complex, huh? Clubhouse. That's it. I'm not sophisticated enough to know what a club. So I said, let's use that. So they let us. I said, could we do this? I said, here's what we're going to do on Tuesday night where we've rented uh, the, the videos on how to raise a strong-willed child. I don't know anything about raising kids. I've been one, but I, you know. And so <clears throat> we got those videos and we put up flyers in the, in the, uh, in the uh, apartment complex and just said, this is some of your friends and we're gonna have some refreshments and if you, it, we're, not gonna, we're not gonna preach at them, we're not gonna talk to them. We're in Christ for the world. What's the need here? in our community. Let's meet it. Not very many people came, but one couple did. And Charlotte began to get close to Becky. And, you know, there's the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, and Becky. Right there. She's going to kill me. (laughs) But she, she got to know Becky and began to share some of her Struggles with a husband that was working hard and sometimes drinking hard. And 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 they became friends. And I got to playing basketball with Lee. The worst basketball injury I ever had was with him. And we developed a friendship. They they came to church with us one time. Or more than once, came to church. And just was interested in this thing. And we're just going to church because you know, we go to church and they said, can we go? Sure, come on. One Sunday, my dad gives the invitation and here she goes. She walks straight down the aisle and asks Jesus into her heart. Lee never did. It's okay. We still play basketball. I kicked him a couple of times. But <laughs> <laughs> it, that wasn't the end of it because Lee wasn't doing what I wanted him to do. I want to be in Christ for the world. I've been sent there. You've been sent there. Friendships, don't don't make this hard. This is simple. It's gonna require time. It it may require our prayers. It may require our effort. But you already know these people. You you don't need to worry about everybody else in the world. You already know these people. So the great question is this. Would you be willing? Would you be willing at this point in your life to do things. I've got it right there on your outline. I think I got it. There's a couple of books. Listen, a couple of them are that, Rebecca Pipper wrote this book called Out of the Salt Shaker. She said the problem with the salt, the image that Jesus used, is all the salt in the church is in the shaker and not in the world. Susie Wilson in our bookstore, you you need to give her the business, like Beaver. You remember Leave it to Beaver, give him the business, yeah. Rebecca, or uh, Susie can, can order these for us. She'll also give you a discount because <clears throat> you're a member of Crossing. But this is one of the best books out of the salt shaker. None of this is, you know, go buttonhole people on the street corner and let them know that Jesus is coming or hellfire and damnation isn't coming. All of this is fine. Like this, this page, the, the other one, Gentle Persuasion by uh, uh, Joe Aldrich. Aldrich said the first key to, to evangelism is can you, can you bake a, a cherry pie and take it to somebody? That that <clears throat> That doesn't sound too dramatic. Can, can you bake a cherry pie and take it to a friend? And accept? Either one of these books <clears throat> or pick two people from your chart and pray intentionally and invest in leadership. I'm telling you, I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna hold myself to the, this. <clears throat> We've talked about two things recently at church. Who's your man? Who you invest in your life in helping someone else grow spiritually? Who you invest in your life? Second of all, who are you dealing with being sent into the world? You got anybody on your heart? Is there anybody on your heart there on that chart? Or if you're like me, there's not enough people in that chart to say, Lord Jesus, would you help me? How do I begin this process? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, you told us we weren't getting out of the world, that your father would watch over us, but you have sent us into the world. So as we reflect and consider the people that are already in our lives, we reflect that we may be locked up in the Christian ghetto. That we need your help in prayer and in guidance to find a way where we could get next to real people. People we already know in our homeowner association or in our neighborhood or at work or in our family. So that as we live our lives. They can be next to a real follower of Jesus. Not a perfect one, but a real one. And that we might live out being sent into this world. That we might actually be in Christ for the world. Use us. Help us. Remind us. In Jesus' strong name. Amen. Amen.